0: Thank you, Eric, and good morning, everyone. Welcome this morning to Bethany. Happy Easter to you. Thank you for joining us both here and across the street in our chapel and online, perhaps, if you're worshiping with us. It's a privilege to share Christ together on this day, and please join me now in prayer. Uh, We'll look to the Lord to be our teacher as we open the Bible together. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that we can gather within these walls and in various places uh, around the country, around the world, to listen for your voice. We trust, pray, and ask Now that your Holy Spirit would teach us, Father, and that we'd be responsive in order that we might live in the midst of all that's happening in our culture and in our personal lives as people of hope, as people of joy, as people of confidence. Uh, Would you guide us there this morning through your revelation? We thank you for it. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, Many of you know this, but many don't. My wife, uh, Donna, is a volunteer with the Forest Service and leads snowshoe trips and so I've had the privilege of going with her on some snowshoe sh- sh- trips this past winter. One of the things that uh, she does is she takes us out into the middle of the forest and it's very cold because obviously it's winter. It's snow. <laughs> there's snow everywhere, there's snow in the trees. And she says, uh, so, look around, what life do you see? <clears throat> and we look around and we don't see any life. There are no birds, no squirrels, nothing, right? And so we say, there's nothing. And then she says, you're wrong, there's tons of life. There's an entire, and this is the word she uses, an entire subnivian world right under your feet. So that you can't see it, here's what happens. All those animals that you see in the forest in the, in the uh, summer, in, in the fall, you ever wonder where they go? They go under and they build a city underground in the winter. Who knew? I didn't know, uh, and, and, and so there's rooms with tunnels from room to room, a room for socializing, no kidding, a room for socializing, a room for eating, rooms for sleeping, and various creatures who are uh, adversaries in the summer season, They, they all just chill together in the winter and they get along. And so you've got animals that would kill each other in the summer, kind of sleeping together in the winter. I say Socialism in the winter, capitalism in the summer. That's how I look at it. But the point would be, wow, um, it's all there. Who knew? What I see with my eyes is I don't see any life. Ah, there is life. You just can't see it, but it's there. This This is Easter, fundamentally. This is the message of Easter. Fundamental message of the gospel. Jesus is teaching us that there's an entire world hidden to our eyes, and that when we believe this, the whole world opens up to us and becomes a new reality for us. And living into this new reality frees us to live the life for which we're created because we're freed from the fear of death and we're unable to become people of hope and joy and courage right in the midst of our everyday living where things are at times falling apart. And so you see, the message of Easter is that this larger reality not only exists but has broken into history. There is, in our midst an entire spiritual reality, unseen to the naked eye, but very real, very present even in the room right now, present with you. And this is the message that we declare this morning by looking at a message not typically taught on Easter, but we're looking at the raising of Lazarus from the dead rather than the raising of Jesus from the dead simply because uh, Jesus says in this profound passage a phrase upon which we want to kind of lock in I am the resurrection and the life. And so what we're looking at this morning is uh, Martha's mind and Jesus' mind. If you take notes, there's two things we're looking at, Martha's mind and Jesus' mind, to show us the difference between a temporary or temporal perspective and an eternal perspective. So let me remind you of the context of the story. In John 11, uh, uh, Jesus is spending some time outside of the city of Bethany uh, or the little town of Bethany. And Lazarus is in Bethany. And so if you pick up the story in John 11, this is how it reads. <clears throat> certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany. Now, I don't know if you knew this or not. This is just parenthetical. Did you know that Bethany is where Jesus, liked, he just liked to go there just to hang out and relax? And I love that because you're in Bethany this morning. And so the hope is that Jesus is here with us hanging out and relaxing. Uh, and Lazarus was at Bethany and Jesus wasn't. Uh, and so Mary... Uh, and her sister Martha were there with Lazarus. And it was Mary who anointed the Lord uh, and wiped his feet. And the sisters sent word to uh, Jesus. Lord, uh, Lazarus is sick. Subtext, come and heal him, right? And this is crazy. It says, when Jesus heard this, he didn't go. He stayed, he stayed rather than going to, to heal Lazarus. Uh, and so then, of course, Lazarus dies And then Jesus goes. And so when then he goes, here's what we find. Verse uh, 17, Jesus came and he found that Lazarus had already been dead in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary and they were at their house consoling them concerning brother Lazarus. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she goes out to meet him, and Mary stays in the house. And so Martha's going to go out and talk to Jesus and have, in a sense, before he arrives in this home, he's going to have a private conversation with Jesus, and it's actually going to be a difficult conversation. It's going to be a hard word that Martha has for Jesus. So because she shows up, and this is verse 21, Martha says to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Now, of course. What's she saying? Jesus, look, I... I sent a message, I told you he was sick, you didn't come. Now you're showing up, better late than never, no. He's dead. If you'd have been here, you could have fixed this. And this is Mary's mind, boom, right there. Mary is fixated, as we'll see here, on the physical and the temporary and the scene. In other words, this is Mary's world. It's in a small circle. She's concerned with what she can see and what is here and what is now. And because of that, she goes to Jesus, and what she wants Jesus to do is fix what is in that circle. Jesus, Lazarus, is dead because you didn't come. If you would have come, you could have fixed it. What's wrong? And here's what I want you to see. Mary's fixation is the fixation of all of humanity. We are worried and obsessed with this present world. If you go back and you look at Egypt and you look at Pharaoh, Pharaoh said to the the sons of Israel as they were slaves, he says, look, I know we have enough bricks, but I want you to make more bricks because Pharaoh had determined that meaning in life would be found through material prosperity. When King Herod rose to the position of power, he was so paranoid about losing uh, his his power that he was willing to do anything, including kill his own family members to preserve the throne. For him, power was what he could see. For uh, Pharaoh, money was what he could see. For many of us in the room, Jesus says, hey, in Matthew 6, many of you are asking these kind of questions. What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? What will tomorrow bring? What ha- my, my, my family member, my parents are aging. Where will they live when they get old? Uh, our children are growing up. What will life be like when they're teenagers? We have worries about today, right? That's the world in which we live. And, and uh, this world is a, is a world in which Mary has no doubt Jesus can step into and fix... But Jesus specifically didn't go and fix it because he's trying to show Mary that there's another world. I want to suggest to you that all of us in the room, at, though we believe, many of us, that there is another world, we slip into this world often. Well, oh, what's the evidence? Let me ask. Let me do a little survey here. If you're courageous, raise your hand. Who, who has swore in the last month? Anybody? Raise your hand. I mean, look around the room. Come on, we're nicely dressed, right? We've got big Bibles, we sing well, there's trumpets and trombones, and we swear. What's up with that? Here's what happens. This world, it just, we we myopically fixate on what's right in front of our noses. And then what happens is that thing, whether it's traffic or hitting your thumb with, with, with a hammer, or the snow blower breaking when there's two feet of snow in the driveway, and now you don't know where you're gonna park your car, suddenly you're kind of upset, and that's just a hypothetical illustration, of course. But, you know, and then you're like, and then you say things, and then you go, wait a minute, was that me? I'm a pastor, or maybe you're not, but you're a believer. And you go, how did that happen? Why am I so mad? I'll tell you why. Because your world is physical, temporal, and seen. And we worry and we live in that world. And to the extent that we are myopically fixated on what we can see, taste, touch, feel, and and myopically fixated on this exact present physical moment, uh, problems begin to accrue in our lives. We try to maximize our lives because if this is, remember, if this circle is all you have, then you gotta be healthy. You gotta be rich. You gotta do stuff. You gotta make a bucket list and go after it. You gotta suck the mirror out of life because Carpe Diem, remember those guys in the picture in Dead Poets Society sitting there in the trophy case, they're gone, man, and this is all you have. And if this is all you have, here, what, what ends up happening is myopically we fixate on what we don't have in our pursuit of having more, right? Or we have it, and yet though we have it, we're worried about losing it. And even if we're not worried about losing it, we know someday, Ecclesiastes 1, it's gone anyway. We know it. And thinking people realize, man, alive. I've climbed the ladder. I've done my bucket list. I'm happy, I'm healthy, and yet I know this. Naked came I from the womb. Naked will I go. Everything I love will disappear. I have a friend who had kind of an existential despair that she kind of fell into over this very thing. She's a believer, married to a healthy guy. They both have good jobs. They have healthy children. They live in a beautiful part of the world. I'm sitting on their back patio one time. There's a barbecue going. It's springtime. The sun is out. The flowers are blooming. The kids are playing on swings. Like, this is like Courier and Ives in the spring, right? Like, it's a perfect moment of, uh, like, family life. And I go, aren't you blessed? And she says, what does it matter? They're all gonna die anyway. (laughs) Now, come on, I mean, this is a believer. But in her moment, in her moment, right? She's like this, yeah, so we have this life. It all disappears. And those of you in the room over 40 know that you begin to experience this more and more and more as friends die and parents age and, 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 and neighbors uh, suddenly have, have cancer at 48, what? Yeah. If this is all there is, ho, oh, then you know, I'm in trouble. So, to the extent that Martha is stuck, and by the way, it's Martha, not Mary. It's my my bad there. But to the extent that Martha is stuck in the temporal world, her joy and meaning are wrapped up in everything remaining the same. And here's Lazarus, and he's sick, and now he's dead. And so when Jesus comes, she's upset. And this is where Jesus enters in, and so we pick up the dialogue. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Even, though I know, even now, I know whatever you ask, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha says, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection in the last day. Now, let's Stop right there. Let's pick, pick up on that theme for just a minute. First of all, I want you to notice Jesus' response, right? Uh, when, when Jesus meets Martha here, uh, and, and she kind of exhorts him or rebukes him even, if you'd been here... He doesn't comfort her. He, he, he comforts her by offering her what is ostensibly a word of hope, but he doesn't weep with her. He, he's not entering in. He's offering her a theological answer to the problem at a level when he says, Oh, you, listen, your brother will rise again. Hey, in other words, don't worry about it. your brother will rise again. And then Martha's response indicates that she has a bit of a different view of eternal life than Jesus does. In other words, what does she say? She says, Oh, listen. I know he'll rise again in the last day, but subtext, but he's dead now. What good is that to me, right? And so that brings us to this kind of this second moment here. Martha's perspective is that eternal life comes after temporal life. Does this make sense? Like we're here and we're myopically fixated on eating, drinking, taxes, corporate ladder, you know, business, family, soccer, cello lessons, good schools, retirement, nursing homes, and then the eternal life. And that's Martha's perspective. Oh, yeah, I know, he'll, I know he'll rise, you know, on the last day, but what about now? This is a fundamental question for many Christians. What about now? I hear it all the time. Yeah, Jesus, yeah, Jesus died for me uh, back in the past, and Jesus is coming again someday in the future. And, you know, the dead will rise. They'll get new bodies. all be good. I get that. What about now? It's the question on the table. And the reason the question is on the table is because we don't, we don't rightly understand eternal life. We think that eternal life is sequential. And Jesus then responds in a significant way. Uh, Martha says, I know he'll rise on the last day. But then Jesus says, verse 25, not I will be the resurrection in the last day, I will be the resurrection when I return. I will be the resurrection when you dead in the ground uh, rise from the dead and your body is reconstituted and you have an eternal body. I will be the resurrection and life. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. In other words, if I can say it this way, right, Jesus' mind is that eternity begins now. That's the thing. We live in eternal life now. And what Jesus is offering us, is this moment now of hope, joy, peace, mercy, generosity. Why? Because eternity begins the moment you say yes to Christ and say with Martha here, I believe. That's when eternal life begins. And so your eyes are now opened to an entire kind of, if I can use the opening illustration word, an entire subnivian realm. Oh, there's life here, I didn't even know it. There's joy here, I didn't even know it. There's shalom here, I didn't even know it. It's there, it's real, it's eternal. Can you see it? <laughs> Not always. Because we're stuck in the temporal realm, you see. So Jesus' response here, I am the resurrection and life," brings this sequential thinking of temporal, eternal into a new framework now showing that eternity has swallowed up time, if we can say it that way. So Jesus says then in verse 26, uh, verse 25, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And so Jesus is saying two things. Look, if you believe in me, you'll live even if you die. But also he's saying, if you believe me, you will never die. These seem on the surface contradictory, Right? Even if I die, what do you mean? You just told me I will never die. Which is true? Which is it, Jesus? A, I will live if I die, or B, I will never die. Which is it? Yes, that's which it is. (laughs) Why? Because, uh, oh yes, you have a temporal body, and in this body, right, this is what what we read, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, in this body, we all groan, longing for redemption, we all get older, so you don't know it yet but we all get older. I watched um, uh, NCAA championship game and I watched these guys fall to the floor and then I get up and then I said to Donna, I can't believe they can do that. Like the other day, I was just reaching for a glass. Oh, my shoulder, right? (laughs) Are you kidding me? What's that about? Oh, that's that temporal body, right? If you believe in me, even if you die, that's this part, you will live. But if you believe in me, watch this, you will never die. Why? Because you're living in that kind of blue circle there already. You're living in the eternal realm. Eternal life begins the moment you say yes. And the result of that living in eternity is kind of this contentment, this courage. And what begins to happen is this dividing wall between the physical, temporal, and seen, and the spiritual, eternal, and unseen, this dividing wall kind of begins to disappear, begins to melt. And we live every day in the, in the existential awareness that we are part of something bigger. And eternity breaks into time. And there's joy at a bedside with somebody dying. There's joy at a party. There's joy in good snow. There's joy in good coffee. There's joy in the realization that though there is North Korea, though there is Somalia, though there is human trafficking, there is a larger story. And the larger story is the inevitable end of history. Shalom. Peace, grace, mercy, live it now. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't wait till you die, live it now. Don't become myopically fixated as Martha did on the physical temporal and scene when the eternal is available to you. Begin to live. Contentment and courage become yours. Right in the midst of it all, in the midst of a child with a learning uh, challenge, in the midst of cancer, in the midst of, of economic uncertainties, This realm has fallen, and we learn to mourn and suffer loss appropriately in this realm, but we mourn in the light of this greater reality, this larger circle, and the truth that that eternity is broken into time. That's the life for which you and I are created. I I have an aunt who lived uh, with my grandmother who baked cinnamon rolls at this favorite camp of mine. Some of you know this, others don't, but it's a place down in California Redwoods. I always went there. And And so I have this aunt, and then I have uh, my grandmother, and my aunt was single her whole life, Aunt Hannah, and she died in her eighties or so, but significantly when she died, uh, my mother uh, came and related this story to me before my mom died. She said, "Richard, you wouldn't have believed it unless you'd been there uh, she My aunt had slipped into a coma, and she was unconscious, and she had a while ago, stopped recognizing anybody. You know how this happens as our bodies decay. But Anne Hannah loved Christ. There was no doubt about it. I mean, she was a joyful woman. So before, just before she died, she woke up from her coma. And she said to the nurse, hey, would you call everybody and all my family members? I have something to say. So you can imagine all these relatives gathered around in a circle. And she blessed each one she, she said them by name and offered a blessing to each one. And then this is what she said. She said, and now I have to go. Because I see Jesus, and he's waiting for me. Goodbye. And then she died. Whoa. Hey, would you like to die like that or swearing? <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? Francis Collins... Uh, For years, head of National Institute of Health, uh, headed up the Human Genome Project, scientist-atheist. He went to med school, and uh, he'd been an atheist his whole life, in his mind, because he was a scientist. And then, uh, in med school, in residency, uh, he would make the rounds among patients, and he began to notice a statistically significant observation that every Christian he met was unafraid to die. Everyone. And so uh, he was at the bedside of a woman who had a heart condition and was about to die. And he asked her, he said, you're unafraid to die. She said, I, oh, I have no fear. She says, I've, I, I'm already going to live forever. I know it. I'm not worried. And then she turns to Francisca and she says, and what about you? And then he says, you know, and then I realized, at that moment, I realized I had never given consideration to the claims of the gospel. So I asked a medical peer who's, who's a Christian, how can I delve into this? He gave Mr. Collins a couple of C.S. Lewis books that he read, surprised by joy being one of them. He read this book by a Christian author, and then he said uh, he started reading his Bible And then in a break from residency, hiking in our beautiful Cascade Mountains. He said, the sun came up, and I knew. I knew that there was a bigger realm, and I wanted to live in it. And I said yes to Christ. Wow. He shared that story with me over a meal, actually, in New York City. And it challenged my own faith. This is what... Jesus says to Martha, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who, listen, everyone who believes in me will never die. Why? Because eternity is swallowed up time. And then here's the question of the morning. Do you believe this? Oh, oh yeah, oh we believe, that's why we're here. No, no. Do you believe this means are you living in this bigger realm or just here? Do you believe this? That's the message of Easter, in order that we might be people of hope in our world, because with the eyes of faith, we see eternity, and we've begun to live there now. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you that we can gather within these walls and listen for your voice this morning. There are people in the room, I'm sure, who have never believed this, never believed in eternal life, not really believed, or perhaps believe that it's sequential, And if that's you this morning, then I encourage you to pray with me right now. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that your life defeated death. Thank you that there's an eternal realm that has swallowed up time. I'd like to live in that realm. I believe. Thank you. And for many of us who do believe, but become myopically fixated on the physical, the temporary, the scene, would you pray with me now? Lord Jesus, we confess that though we believe, we betray our unbelief sometimes. We say that eternity has conquered time, but then something comes up and we fixate and we live small. Lord, give us the grace to see with the eyes of eternity in the midst of cancer, in the midst of marriage, in the midst of child raising, in the midst of money challenges in the midst of good times as well, forgive our unbelief. Today, we'd like to believe. We stand with you as people of hope. We pray in the name of Christ who is our hope. Amen. We have prayer team members here and if this message is meaningful to you and you want to pray about uh, some unbelief where you're myopically fixated and have someone walk with you into seeing the realm of eternity, they're, they're here for you. If you don't believe at all but you'd like to believe, they'd like to pray with you talk with you about the gospel. Uh, Utilize the prayer team members as we worship together in closing.